0: How's everyone doing tonight? Hey, we are um originally we were scheduled to do a a series on spiritual authority that was gonna start today, and we are gonna kick that down the road a couple of months, and we are going to there's some things that we're still praying through and discerning through and figuring out practically. On what spiritual authority and the exorcism of that looks like here at Easton Fellowship. And just felt like it would be good to push that down the road just a little bit until we had some of those things buttoned up. And so we're actually taking a sermon series that we were going to do a year from now, and we're going to do it now. Uh, that's right. Uh, and so the, the sermon series that we are starting today um, is going to be called, Aaron? Misunderstood. misunderstood. I know you're waiting with bated breath. What misunderstood is going to be about? Um, there are a number of passages in the Bible that people quote and use regularly. And the way that you quote it, or the way that others quote it, and the way that they use it may not actually be what that passage is about. Um, and so we are gonna, we're going to we're going to take four or five weeks, and we're going to look at some of those passages. Uh, and so the, the first one that we're going to be looking at today, if you want to pull out your Bible, we have no slides, by the way. You will need a Bible, and I promise you, you're going to need... We're going to be looking at a lot of passages of scripture today to help us understand one single solitary verse. So if you have your Bible with you, pull it out. If you have your phone with you because you don't have your Bible, you have permission to pull it out. If you do not have a Bible app on your phone, go to YouVersion and quickly download it. You're going to need it today. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 today. Philippians chapter 4 Verse 13, so there was a, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago uh, I was on Facebook, which is like basically the best place to have really civil discussions, um, and there was someone on my Facebook feed, and he was, uh, he, he had posted this quote from Dr. King, and it was, I have a dream that one day people will be judged more by the content of their character than by the color of their skin. And that he posted that quote, and then under that, he basically was like, Clearly what Dr. King was saying is that skin color doesn't matter anymore. And then you went on to this whole thing about like how skin color is something like from the past, the racial identity is not important, and on and on and on and on. And it's like I could actually see how if you only look at that one single solitary sentence, you might get to that point. It's unfortunate that Dr. King said a lot of other things, and none of what he said, and the other things seem to agree with what it is that you're thinking about this. In many ways, when we think about this series, Misunderstood, that's what we're talking about. Um, you might be able to reach certain conclusions about what the scripture passages we're going to be looking at, but there's a whole giant Bible that helps us understand passages um, that we might be having some trouble with. And we are going to be looking at a person's life tonight, the Apostle Paul, to help us understand what it is that he is writing about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. So if you are physically able tonight, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading one verse to start with. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I'm going to read it one more time. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Let's go ahead and pray. So, Father, would you speak to us from your word tonight? Uh, Lord, I pray that the things that, uh, that I say tonight that are meant to stick, that they will stick. The things that are meant to be blown away, that you would blow those things away. Lord, we are we are not able to hear your word well without your Holy Spirit. So send your Holy Spirit tonight. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that in a way that is beyond what we are capable of, that we will have hearts and a posture to receive your word tonight. Lord, would, would every heart in this place in the name of Jesus be good soil for kingdom seed to be scattered? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul, Paul writes this verse, which is an incredibly well-known verse. I can do everything, some, some translations say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He writes this as he is approaching 60 years old. Um, It is very difficult to understand what this verse, what it is that Paul is writing. It's going to be hard for us to wrap our minds around that if we don't rewind about 27 years. And then start to take like a hop, a skip, and a jump through the life of Paul. And so we're going to do that tonight. Uh, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We are maybe eight years into the life of the church. Um, Jesus has ascended into heaven. There's a group of people that have all centered in Jerusalem. That, that group has now been scattered because there's a man named Saul, who later changes his name to Paul, who wrote the, at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And his sole mission at this point, at age 30... Is he is he is finding every person who associates with what is called the Way, these early Christian believers, and he is looking to put them in prison. He is looking to torture them, and for some, he's looking to murder them. And he has just gotten permission to go find as many of them as they can, not just in Israel, but in a neighboring country in Syria. And so he is now on the road to a a town called Damascus. You might have heard this story before. There's a flashing light as he's approaching the city. And it's actually Jesus. He has knocked off the horse that he is riding. There's a voice that comes from the sky that that says it is Jesus. And he says, Saul, Saul, why is it that you are persecuting me? And then he instructs him to go into the city to find a very specific person, a man named Judas on Straight Street. And this is where we're going to pick up with the story. We're going to pick up in verse 10 of Acts chapter 9. So Paul has just met, Saul has just met Jesus in in this supernatural encounter. In verse 10, it says this, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. It's important to note that when when Saul fell off the horse and the flashing light comes all around him, he loses his sight. He cannot see a thing. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul... The Lord, that is Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. That is how Saul comes to faith in Jesus. He is knocked off a horse, a booming voice from heaven there's a flashing light he loses his sight and then his sight is restored to him through a supernatural vision where someone was sent because they knew someone who was sent to this little house on a back alleyway and he was baptized immediately after that but there is there is one thing that you might miss in this conversion story that is going to be like the centering piece the grounding piece for all of the life that paul is going to live from here on out and it's in verse 15 But the Lord said to Ananias, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Here's here's just a logical question. You have Saul, who has just come to faith in Jesus. He's just been baptized. He's going to spend a little bit more time with this young group of believers. Do you think that that man, Ananias, who prayed for him, shared that with him? I I think, this is a guess, I think there's a very good chance he did. Like, if, if, if I had a word from the Lord, and I'm like, kind of sharing this whole story like, hey, I don't know if you knew, but this is how I got to be randomly in this house to pray for you to restore your sight. God told me that you, Saul, are going to be the person who is going to go before kings and talk about who Jesus is. That is probably something that Ananias shared with him. And I'm guessing if that were the case, that was going to be a grounding thing for Paul's life. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to fast forward because what it is that we see is in the, in the midst of like what it is that is happening in Saul's life right now, there's this overarching narrative of what it is that God has set him apart for. And you can see this over and over as you look through the book of Acts, how this call in his life is confirmed again and again and again. This is a person who has been set apart for a very specific task, for a very specific calling. The the interesting thing, when Paul is reflecting on this, this is kind of like an aside, when Paul is reflecting on this to the church in Ephesus, this is what he says. He says, like, look, every single one of you has been created for a very specific purpose. There are things that God has set apart for every single one of you to do since before the creation of the world. There are good works that God has set aside that only you can do. No one else before you, no one else after you can do it. Only you. And what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 9 is an articulation of what Paul's thing was. He has been set apart to proclaim for the very first time to a group of people who have never heard of Jesus before. All the way to like the kings of the earth are going to hear about Jesus. And that is one of the principal reasons that Saul is alive. We all track in here. What, what we're seeing is like this this word in many ways is going to be this revelation that is given. Is going to be like the north star in his life. And he is going to go after this and after this and after this. It's going to be the way that he helps weigh and discern decision after decision after decision. There's a there's a passage that we're going to look at in just a second. So go to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to we fast forward in the timeline of Paul's life by about 17 years. At this point, Paul has—he had what was called the, his hidden years. We're not gonna. There's so much we can talk about. I can't talk about all of it. I would like to talk about it. We will not tonight. He, he has 10 years where he like disappears from the face of history, and then he re-emerges. Um, and not soon, not far after that, he starts to go and plant churches. In his first trip planting churches, he goes and plants churches in, in a region called Galatia, which is very near where this happens. In the, in, the region of, uh, in the region of Syria. The second trip where he plants churches, he goes and plants the very first churches on the continent of Europe. His third trip planting churches, he goes and plants in a, in a city called Ephesus, which is sort of like the place where all of these churches come out of, which is in present day Turkey. So first trip, we've got region of Galatia, which is very close to Syria. Second trip, Europe. Third trip, Ephesus. It's in Ephesus that he writes this letter to the Corinthian church. So on his third trip, we all tracking. We're 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 doing like decades of Paul's life very very quickly. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to talk about some of the things that he has experienced. And it's really important that we wrap our heads around. Paul is a very real person he is very very he has a real body he has real emotions he has a very real soul and a very real spirit and as he is writing to the church in Corinth which he planted on his his second his second journey so when he planted churches in Europe he is now writing from Ephesus and this is what he's talking about let's pick up in verse 22 of second corinthians chapter 11 Are they Hebrew, so am I. Are they Israelites, so am I. Are they Abraham's descendants, so am I. So pause there for a second. There's a group of people that whenever Paul plants churches, they come after him and they try to destroy those churches. These, These people are called Judaizers. And so what they're trying to do is to convert people who weren't Jews, who became Christians, to become Jews. And it is driving Paul crazy. I mean, he he is about to lose his mind. And so he, he's remarking about them. He's like, are they Jews? Great. So am I. Are they Hebrew? Great. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. He is going out of his mind. He's like, I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times, so we're about to hit a list. This list is going to be important. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So what that means is that there were times where he had run-ins in different cities where he was planting churches. And he had run-ins with the Jewish leaders who were there. And they would tie him to a post and they would take out the same kinds of whip that Jesus was whipped with. And they would beat him with it 39 times. They believed that if you did it 40 times the person would die from loss of blood. So they would do 39 times. They would only do that when they were excommunicating someone from the faith. And so here comes Paul saying like I'm a Jew, but it's the it's like it's the thing that Jew that Judaism this whole thing that we've been part of that it's been pointing to which is Jesus. And he tells them the good news of Jesus, they don't really They're not too warm to it. So they tie him to a post and they beat him. How many times does this happen? Five times. In your body, if this were to happen to you five times, like the first time that you would do it, it would take you a very, very long time to recover. Every time will take you a very, very long time to recover. The thing that builds up is scar tissue. And then when it happens a second time, the scar tissue is ripped out and it happens again And it builds up more scar tissue. A third time, ripped out more scar tissue. So by the time this happens five times, Paul's back is bent over almost like this. So that he can barely hold his head up. Like He's got a real body. And so this is what he's writing about, about what has happened to him. He's a man whose back will not straighten up and he can barely hold his head up. That's what the human body does. Paul was a very real person. He had a very real body. And that's only one thing that he wrote. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. In Greek cities, when you ran into not the religious leaders, but you ran into the civil leaders, they had these things called lictors. And behind the magistrate of the city, there was someone who would have what looked like bamboo rods and in, in these uh, packs on their back. And when they, got, when they wanted to severely punish someone, they would stretch them out on the floor, they would tie their hands and their feet, they would take the rods, and they would beat their legs with it until the skin peeled away. That happens to them three times. What do you think that does for your posture when you're walking? Probably not good. I'm just guessing here. Once I was stoned, so you can actually read about that account in a second journey, He and his companion were stoned. They were left for dead. They were miraculously healed from that. I've spent a day and a night in the open sea. So there's a shipwreck. There's some sort of board, it seems like he grabs hold of. And for a day and a half, he just floats around on the Mediterranean Sea and he survives. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, like as if that weren't enough. I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And do I not feel weak? Who is led into sin? And do I not inwardly burn? He's like, if it wasn't bad enough, like there's this pressure of thinking about, there are these churches that have been planted, and I know to every church I go, there are these people that come behind me and are looking to destroy it. And it's driving me crazy. Paul is writing this, and he is probably about 47 years old. The passage that we're looking at, Philippians chapter 4, "I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength." Add another 10 years, excuse me, another 10 years to his life from what we just read. So let's let's continue to fast forward. So th- things are th- th- there's like this thing that's happening with Paul. Things are going incredibly well, like with his work. You have, in, in, when he writes this letter, he is in a city called Ephesus, and it says that within two years of planting that church, every single person on that continent, that little subcontinent of the smaller continent of Asia that he's in, every single one has heard about Jesus. Every single person. That's like wildly successful. On the other hand, look what he had to endure for that to happen. So he's, he's this mixed bag of these two things coming together. God is doing extraordinary things, and you have this physically broken man who can barely sleep at night because he's so worried about all the things that are happening with the churches that he's planted. He's like, like I know weakness, and I know sin, and like I'm about to break. I'm losing my mind about this stuff. And in the back of his mind, I'm guessing, there's this picture of... Of this man who healed him and who says like, look, you have been set apart. There's going to be a day when you speak the name of Jesus to people who have never heard of Jesus before. That's what he's doing. And there will be a day when you are going to speak to kings on the name of Jesus. So let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. So we're going we're gonna to speed about three to five years forward in Paul's life. I know this is going to be shocking. Paul's gotten in some trouble. I know we would never have seen that coming based on from what we've heard so far. Um, what is essentially like the governor of Virginia um, has, has arrested Paul because there's some things that, have been, that Paul has been stirring up. Um, and a little bit later on in the story, he remarks to the man who takes his place, He's like, if if Paul had not done this particular thing that we're going to read about, I was just going to let him go. The reason that I arrested him is because there was all this trouble and I was trying to keep the peace, but he didn't do anything wrong. And so this is what he says. This is the interaction that we have in Acts chapter 25, verse 9. So Festus, so that's the governor. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul... Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court. In other words, I'm not standing in a religious court. I'm standing in a government's court. I'm standing in a civil court here where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Verse 12, after Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, well to Caesar you will go. Paul is a Roman citizen. And under certain, under certain laws, a Roman citizen, if they are brought under certain charges, can appeal to Caesar, which is what Paul just did here. And what that means is this. You might have to wait several years, but eventually your case that the government is bringing against you is going to go straight to the top. And you are going to get to talk to Caesar himself. 23 years earlier, there was a man who walks up to a man who was blind... And he puts his hands on him, and he prays for him, and his sight was restored. He is baptized, and more than likely, he was given a prophetic word, and it was said this, Saul, you are going to be the voice of Jesus to a group of people who have never heard of Jesus before, and that group is going to include kings. There is, in the known world, no higher king than Caesar. And 23 years later, Paul's like, I appeal to Caesar. The rest of the book of Acts, there are 28 chapters, the rest of the book of Acts is sort of the journey of Paul finally getting to Rome. And we, we finally get him entering into the city as, the, as that, that book ends. We don't quite get there, but that's that's where it ends up. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Let's go back to our text. Paul has had to wait After the verses that we just read, he has had to wait another two years and he has to meet with another person. And then he gets on a boat, you're never gonna guess what happens with the boat, it's shipwrecked. He survives miraculously, he goes to an island called Malta, and in the island of Malta he's bit by a venomous snake and he doesn't die. God is bound and determined that Paul is going to talk to Caesar. Paul has now been, in in this passage that we're in right now, Paul has been in what's called the Palpatine prison. And so you could, today, if you were to go to Rome, you can visit where Paul wrote this letter. You can sit right where Paul wrote this letter. It's It's several grounds under the earth. It's made of stone. It's a cylinder. And it is about as dark and as dank as you can possibly imagine. It is depressing. Can I think of any other D words? Dark, dank, depressing. it's it's, it's awful. There's very, very, very few things that are coming to Paul. He is not hearing much from his churches. And what we know about Paul is the thing beyond his body, which is just broken beyond disrepair at this point. The thing that drives him crazy more than anything else is what? What is happening with these churches? Are they surviving? Are they dying? Are the people staying faithful? What is God's spirit doing? And finally, there is a letter that he receives from a church that he planted on the second journey in Europe from a little town called Philippi. And this letter that we're reading in Philippians is his response to receiving that letter in a prison cell that is several grounds under the stone floor after waiting five years to get to talk to Caesar. And he's still waiting. And this is what he says. We're going to pick up in verse 10. Of Philippians chapter 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, i.e., when I was there planting the church and you hearing about Jesus for the very first time, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me, again and again, when I was in aid, again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. In the midst of that passage, there's this little verse that says, verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But it is in the middle of a passage that's talking about a whole list of other things, including Paul almost seeming a little passive-aggressive, And relieved at the same time that this group of people have finally... Like, I have been on your heart. You have been thinking about me. You have, like... Because what do we know about Paul? The thing that he's most concerned about is, like, are these churches going to survive? Are they going to make it? And he is stuck in a prison and has been there for five years. And he's hearing virtually nothing. He's alone with his thoughts. He is going crazy. And finally he gets word that this church has not only been thinking about him, has not only been praying for him, but they actually sent him stuff. Paul was in a position where he had enough to eat. He was fine. The thing that he needed more than anything else was to know that he was still being prayed for. That he was still on their mind. That they were still lifting him up to Jesus who was interceding before the Father. The thing that jumps out to me from this passage more than anything else is a very real man in a very real prison with a very broken body and possibly hanging on by a very thin thread. And he, he, you can almost, he, this is not in the scriptures, but you can almost hear him ask, like, am I going to make it? Am, like, am I going to get there? Like, there is this, there's this call on my life. I've been set apart for this. And like like I'm hanging on by a thin thread. Am I going to make it? And you could almost in this passage hear him answering his own question. I I I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And and what you hear him saying when talking to this church is guys This thing that you have sent me, it it wasn't about the stuff. Just the thought that you were praying for me, just the thought that I was on your mind, that was the thing that God was able to use. That was the grace that is giving me the strength to move on. Because we know that Paul actually will stand before Caesar. Caesar. And he will be the one who tells Caesar for the very first time who Jesus is. And at the end of the day, it will cost him his life as he will be beheaded. But you can, like the under, like the undertone of these, of this letter, particularly in this last chapter, is this man who's like, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just hanging on. And when you, when you start to see his story and the 27 years of pain and heartache and loneliness and betrayal, and him being alone in a cell, several floors underneath the ground, you can start to be like, I, I, I could probably be there too, wondering, am I going to make it? And this is the thing that I think Philippians 4.13 really gets after. It, it's this, the checks that God writes with the calling on your life, he will provide the cash for it. The checks that God writes for the call on your life, he will provide the cash for it. The problem is this. Oftentimes, we are writing checks for things that God is not intending to give us the cash for. So when we talk about like this, this is the, this is the series misunderstood? How do we use Philippians 4:13? I didn't study for the test. I didn't go to class. I didn't read the book. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me. He will supply all of my needs. Look, Jesus gave you the strength to read that book and to go to class, and you chose not to go. Like, we, we, hear this, we hear this passage quoted all of the time with athletes who are like, we won the NBA finals because I can do all things to Jesus who, who gives me strength. Do you know what the other dude on the other team was saying? The same thing. What, what, what? We have to get, like, what is the context of this passage? There are things that you have been set apart for. There are things, there's a calling on your life. And there are things that are so beyond what you are able to do, the only way you can do it is with the strength that God provides. There is no other way. And too often, we find ourselves in a position where we are going after good things, but God is not behind them. Because we did not stop long enough to pray and get the revelation of the difference between a good idea and a God idea. And what it is that we see in Acts chapter 9 when Paul comes to faith is this revelation about the north star of his life. This man has been set apart for something and all of his decisions were based on that very particular revelation. And so many times what we are doing is we are, we are trying to nobly live out someone else's life call and not our own. And God is not going to give you the grace, the strength, or the power to walk out someone else's life. He is giving you the grace, the strength, and the power to walk out your own. And it requires that your heart, that your soul, that your identity be so captured in Christ that you refuse to want or to live out anyone else's life but your own. That is the one that you have been given. You have one life, so live it. And, and if, if just so we're crystal clear, that doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy life. Do we need to return to Paul? <laughs> but it was worth it. Right now, Paul is with Jesus. There's a reason we're still talking about him. There's a reason for that. And that is not what Paul was after that 2,000 years later we would be talking about him. What Paul was after was obedience and faithfulness. He was obedient to live out the life that God had set apart for him and him only. And sometimes that meant he was desperately alone. But he can do everything through Jesus Christ who gives him strength. Would we be people who as we push further and further into what the Spirit wants for this community and further and further into what the Holy Spirit has set you apart for in this life, that boldly, that fearlessly, and with the strength and the power that only God provides, would we step into it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, here we are. You have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, we need your help to live in the light of your grace. We need your help to live into the life that you have called us to. We need your help When things do not go as we want or expected. Lord, we need your help. Give us your grace, Lord. Give us your strength. Give us your power. Lord, in you, we can do all the things you have set us apart for. Without you, Lord, we, we have nothing.